0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarvestLakeshore.org. 1 Peter 3,
1: 1-7 Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are the heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
2: Well,
3: good morning, Harvest. Before we jump into the text, I'm completely aware that after Julia read that passage, some of you are feeling like, all right, what's he going to say? Some of you have, you know, antennas that have popped up and you're like, what's he going to say? I don't know. I have a lot of notes here, and I just kind of want to feel like I want to toss them. At one point this week, I actually called one of the wives in the church, and I said, I have this great idea. How about if I take all the guys into the gym, and I'll talk to them about their part in this, and then you just preach to the wives? Would that be good? And she's like, uh-uh. I'm not called to that. You're, gonna, you're on your own, buddy. So you got me this morning. So I'm I'm aware of the weight of this because as we come to this passage, uh, unfortunately, this passage has been taken out of context and preached wrongly. Unfortunately, phrases not even just not even just verses, but phrases have been taken out of this passage and used uh, inappropriately, uh, used to suppress women. Uh, I've heard uh, this passage preached in a way uh, to single women like. What? How in the world would you get that? Um, I'm burdened as we come to this passage, for those of you who are single, because anytime marriage is talked about, that can be tempting, right? Because maybe you want to get married and you're struggling with hearing marriage talked about, uh, or you think that marriage is held up as being like this, this thing that everyone needs to achieve, uh, Paul has some straightforward things. In 1 Corinthians 7, he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single. So let's just be clear. It's not better to be married, okay? Uh, even Paul, who uh, was single, he preached about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, but the, the individual who is speaking the, to the passage that's most often preached about marriage is single, Okay, so singles are important and valuable, and you don't have to be married to be significant or a Christian. There's another guy that I think is pretty important that was single, his name is Jesus. Okay. So I don't I don't want to go any more rants about, about that, but singles you can speak into marriages, you have God's word, and most importantly, you can point people to Christ. So, I'm burdened about that. I'm burdened as we come to talk about marriage. Even the terms of wives and husbands in our culture don't mean the same thing to everybody that they did when this was written. I'm concerned that even though we have convictions about marriage, and we're going to talk about that, that even as we engage with the culture, I'm concerned that the first thing that they hear is about our conviction about marriage. Friends, my prayer is that as we engage with a culture that doesn't know Christ, we engage with people who don't know Christ. The thing they should know most about us is that we are lovers of Jesus. If they don't know Christ, they're blind. Don't talk to them about your convictions about marriage first. Talk to them about the wonder of Christ. Talk to them about how they can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. So again, I could preach a whole message on that. So all these things are here coming to the text. And I'm also just intimately aware that I'm a man speaking to men and women. And I I've read many books about this. I have studied this passage, I don't know, countless hours before this week, but I still feel completely insufficient as the first phrase is likewise, wives, subject yourself to your husbands. I feel the fear of God. And I wanted to make sure I had fresh perspective. So even this week, I reached out to four ladies in the church after having a lengthy conversation with my wife. I reached out to other ladies, three ladies who are married, one who is single and just said, hey, would you read this passage and just interact with me about it? Just, I wanted fresh perspective. I wanted to hear because my desire is to preach this passage and to unpack the truth that's here for us because it's God's word. So let's jump into God's word and see what God's word has to say to us about, about marriage. And I just have a hunch we're probably not going to get through these seven verses because some of you probably were, got hung up on the first one. Maybe you got some. Maybe some of you read the part calling him Lord. Sarah obeyed, calling him Lord. Like ah, uh, yeah. I might feel a itch in my throat next week, and one of the elder, elders might have to preach that verse. Well. We'll get there, but the place we need to begin always, as I exhort you to, when we study a passage of Scripture, we want to study it in context. You don't ever want to take something out and then just kind of start extrapolating. Peter had this shared in context, in the context certainly of the whole of Scripture, but even in this passage, he doesn't begin with chapter 3, verse 1. Peter actually has been sharing amazing truth with us before he comes here about God's initiative in our lives. He's been sharing about how amazing Jesus is before he even talks about marriage. And even right before he talks about this passage, he starts with Jesus. So look back at your Bibles. Not at chapter 3, verse 1, but look back at chapter 2, verse 21, and I'm gonna read those verses first. Because at the beginning of verse 3, he says, likewise. He's comparing something. So he's saying, This is, I'm gonna to talk to you about something, but it, it it's like this. It's like that something that's gone before. And this is what came before. Verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Everyone must follow the example of Christ. We must start with Christ. It would be wrong to talk about this passage without talking much about Christ, without focusing on Christ was wrong to talk about the dynamics of marriage or roles in marriage without talking about Christ, whether talking to wives, talking about what does that look like to submit to your husbands. Well, the first place you must start with is Christ. What does, what did it look like for Christ to submit? And it, you can't talk about husbands. Husbands, what's your role without focusing on Christ, who was the sacrificial lamb, who was the servant, who was the one that showed us what leadership looked like. It never looked like manipulating. It never looked like abusing. It always looked like laying his life down, being kind and gracious, knowing the right thing to say because he spent endless hours with the Father. We can't talk about marriage without talking much about Christ. How many marriages would be transformed if they stopped reading marriage books? And I'm all for really good marriage books. But the ones, the marriages that do the best are the ones where the husband and the wife are enamored with one person. And that's not their spouse. They're enamored with Jesus. They are amazed at Christ. They study the nuances of Christ. They understand and they're amazed when you read, he bore our sins on his body on the tree. They come to a Sunday where we're going to have communion together and they're just fired up to be able to share the Lord's table together because it reminds us of Christ. So we must start with focusing on Christ. Focusing on what Christ has done. Because when we focus on what Christ has done, your spouse is not your life. Jesus is. Your spouse is not who defines you. How you relate to your spouse it does not define you. Jesus defines you. Your spouse is not the focus of your attention. Jesus is. Because your spouse cannot satisfy you. I know all the great love songs that you've ever heard, no matter if they were created in the 50s or 60s or 70s or wherever, whatever decade you're listening to, there's always like, you complete me. You fill me. You are the one. Like, they're lying. They're lying. They sell records, but they don't deliver in marriage. Just ask some people who are married. Your spouse is never designed to be the one to fully satisfy you. Only Jesus can. Because your spouse is not going to be your spouse for eternity. Mark chapter 12 says this. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Jesus is our bridegroom. Even when we talk about marriage, it's, it's really short. Short. Even, even the ones that have... We have some marriages in our churches that have lasted 50 years already, 60 years. Even that's going to be short in light of eternity. So just, we need to put that in perspective. And even as we talk about marriage, Jesus is our bridegroom. We are his bride. We eagerly await his return. So that's the foundation as we talk about marriage. And as you can see, even if you're here, if you're single, maybe you are single and you're still in your parents' house because you're 15 years old, or maybe you're single at a different age. You can see there's some truth in this passage that applies because we start with Christ. And as we talk about marriage, the the great thing as I do weddings that I remind people as they come, hey, this, this marriage isn't about these two. Lord willing, there's going to be a wedding that's going to happen here in another month. Like, I'm going to stand before these two, and I'm going to tell everyone, even though we see these two here that are going to get married right now, this is pointing to a greater reality. The greater reality is Jesus is coming back. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. We're anticipating his return. And every marriage is supposed to point to that day. So even as you talk about marriage, if you're not married or never would get married, you can talk about marriage because it reminds you of the greater marriage that's going to happen when he returns and we're united with him. So let's keep that in view as we talk about marriage, as we talk about some of these specific things. And I want to unpack not just you know, generalities, but get into specifics in, and unpack words and say, well, what, what does this mean? So we understand everyone must follow the example of Christ. Let's keep Christ before us. We have the blessing that we're going we're to point our gaze again to Christ as we take communion together, together today, whether here or at home. So our focus needs to be on Christ. Now, as we move along, we address wives and husbands. Wives and husbands. The passage has six verses addressing wives and one to husbands. And one, one gal was like, hey, what is the deal with that? Why did that happen? I want you to answer that question. Here, here's what I think. And again, this, this is not, a commentator didn't say this. This is not divinely inspired. This is the fallible opinion of me. One, I, I, think, I think guys need to be addressed at the end so that that's the thing they remember. Seriously. Like no matter what's said before, that the last word needs to be like, hey, bub, this is what you need to focus on. And guys need it simple. Give them a few things. If you give them a lot, they just, it just runs over. I'm not trying to generalize, but I just know me. If I get poignant, that's all I can get. And ladies, they like to talk, right? Generally, they love conversation and images and pictures. And so maybe Peter just understood ladies and men. Not that he's just trying to overtly focus, but, you know, he's painting a picture for them. And he's like, guys, it's pretty clear for you. This is what you need to do. Let me just boil it down for you. That's my guess. I could be completely wrong, and it's okay if you disagree with me. But don't think that because there's six verses addressing uh, wives and one addressing women that, that it's off. Because all you need to do is go to Ephesians and there's like three or four verses that address wives and a whole bunch more that address husbands. So there's plenty, to, plenty of work to do for us guys. Okay. But ladies, let's just start with you because this is where the passage starts. Wives, And my point is, entrust yourself to the Lord as you submit to your husbands. Because it starts with Christ. It doesn't start with your husband. It starts with Christ. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, and that's who we need to entrust ourselves to. So he he starts with wives. And before he even says, I just need to briefly say, wives, what, what do we mean by that? We mean... Women, we mean those who biologically were born women that, that choose to get married because we... We see in the book of Genesis, if you were to flip back there to Genesis chapter 1, this is what it says in Genesis chapter 1. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So even in the context of Peter talking, this would have been the understanding of what wives would be. The understanding would be that women are equal in value to men. That would be what's expected. They're created male and female We know that Peter would have valued women. If you keep your finger in your Bible and flip over to the last chapter of 1 Peter, the the second to last verse, verse 13, he references she who is at Babylon. In fact, as he closes the letter, which seems common in the New Testament, they'll reference some different people. Uh, Peter references two men and one woman. And apparently this woman is so familiar to those who he is writing to. He doesn't even have to reference her name. He just says, she who's at Babylon uh, gives greetings to you. He valued women. He was married. Peter and Paul valued women as co-laborers in the gospel. So he's not here calling them out as they're some kind of lesser person. No, this is, hey, I'm just sharing some things with you as we're talking about how God's designed things. So before, he, before we even get to him saying, be subject to, we have to understand in that context, that's what they would have understood. That was the kind of relationship they had. Remember, Peter had addressed beloved back in verse 11 of chapter 2. So this is a loving conversation. In fact, it would almost be better if we could be in just a small group. I mean, if I just gathered you all right here and we could sit close and look into each other's eyes, we're not allowed to do that right now. So I'm not going to ask you to do that. But that would be more the feel as we talk about this, as he comes to say, wives, be subject to your husbands. I'm like, okay, I'm going to find out what that means. Be subject to. There's got to be something we're missing. Well, this is what it means. It means... To be or be inclined or willing to submit to orders or wishes or others showing such an inclination. To be subordinate. That's what it means. But remember, God created men and women. He created them to be different in function and roles, but not different in importance. Because when we talk about headship, like in, in uh, Ephesians chapter five, uh, Paul says, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. That the word head there means the, the person who's in charge, the person who has the responsibility for leadership, But what that looks like in every home is going to practically look different. It's not going to look the same. There's not like a cookie cutter. Like this is exactly what it looks like. But there is an accountability structure in marriage. I believe that the... The man who's been placed in the authority of the place to to lead the family. The Bible doesn't use the word lead, but if you're in a place where those have to submit to you, you're the one that has to lead. That you are going to give an account before the Lord for your family. And you should take that seriously. So husbands, even as we look at this passage, as Peter's addressing wives, you need to take that seriously. Seriously. God's called someone to submit to your leadership and that someone is an heir with you. If you look at the last verse, Peter says to to husbands after saying, living with them in an understanding way, the woman is weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, this is someone for whom Christ has died and you should never take that lightly. So as they are seeking to understand what does it look like in the context practically of our marriage to submit to your leadership, you need to be humble. Because you need to be in awe of Christ and how Christ laid down his life. I know, I'm not even at the point of talking about verse 7 yet, but man, you just got to know that. Because ladies, it is an act of faith for you as you consider it. But you must understand what, what Peter is not saying. Peter is not saying a wife's submission to a husband is absolute. He's not saying that. Your husband is not God. And all the women, all the wives here are like, for sure, I can absolutely agree with that. He's not God and he shouldn't be your God. God is God. One of the ladies in our church, and I'm going to actually quote some of them, and I promised them I would not use their names, but I'm, I'm, totally going to, I'm going to totally use every word that they shared in some points because I think what they had to say was great. One lady said, submission does not mean subjugation. God hates abuse. He hates abuse. He defends the powerless. A Christian's loyalty belongs first to God, not an abuser. God never counsels women to permit abuse of themselves or their children. Those who are doing the abusing may twist these words to benefit their position, but that is not what Peter is saying. Another lady said, I've heard of men who use this passage to do whatever they want and expect their wife to continue to submit to them. That is not what this passage is saying. Absolutely not. And if any man does, you point him to Jesus. A wife is not a doormat. And I want to. Well, just to make a quick side note about husbands who abuse their wives and that is a serious matter if a wife is in physical danger it's it's serious and if we need to call the police we call the police We need to get them out of that situation. We want to get them out of that situation. We aren't playing games. This is not a time to have a theological discussion. This is about the care and the safety of that wife. And if you're aware of a husband who has been that way with his wife, it is not wise to go like have that man go out behind the woodshed and give him what, what he needs to hear. Do, do not incite a man who's going to go back and then abuse his wife. All right, if, if you're aware of abuse, please contact one of the elders. This is very serious. I don't want to be unclear on this matter. We want to make sure that that wives are safe because that, that's real in our culture. But my prayer is, as we apply as a local church, the amazing truths about Christ and what he has to say about marriage, we, we're gonna have those issues because we're gonna focus on Christ and we're gonna fight for marriages. But unfortunately in our day, that has been sh- shifted or put off to the side and was hidden for decades and centuries. And I'm grateful some of those things have come out. And so we wanna address them when they come up. So that about abuse, we take that seriously. A wife is not meant to be a doormat. But in a healthy context, true biblical submission is a beautiful thing. But true biblical submission, it's given, not demanded. It's not de- it should never be demanded. You aren't living with your wife in an understanding way if you have to demand it. Even look at Jesus as he taught his disciples. He shared truth with them. He served them. He had to share truth with them again and again and again. But he lovingly came to them. So it's given, not demanded. It's God-focused, not man-focused. And again, submission is an act of faith because here's the reality. Whether you're on your wedding day uh, getting married or you've been married for... 50 years you're aware you're you're going to be married to or you are married to a sinner they're a sinner i try to tell folks as we do premarital with them hey um, you're getting married to a sinner they're not perfect you're gonna find that out really quick i just want you to know that right up front Or if someone never shared that, when we start with marriage counseling, hey, just just be reminded uh, the person across from you is not perfect. And uh, by the way, you aren't either. Just be aware of that. We all need a savior. We all need to come before him. So being submitted to, you know, that's real. But here's one thing we need to point out as we're getting going very slowly through this passage. We're not going to be here till four, I promise. Promise. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. I just briefly want to say, it's just your own. Wives are not called, women are not called to submit to every man. There's not some, some oppressive authority structure. It says your own. So the call to submit here is to your husband as biblically defined, and it should be a thing that works out well but I just want to make that clear. It's to your husband and biblical submission. It's not a personality trait. Not all women are, are supposed to be um, introverts who can't make a decision. Okay. Not not all women are, are supposed to be like that. That's not what he's saying. A wife should speak truth. She should not be silent Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Certainly we want to be gracious in our speech, but your perspective is absolutely needed. In a marriage, even though the husband is called to lead and the wife is called to follow, as it were, it should be a dialogue. It's not like the military, where you've got a general who's just like, Go! Go! This is about a relationship because this is a covenant commitment that's happened, right? It's a covenant commitment that's made at marriage. They become one flesh. These aren't two people that are just like, I do this and you do that. And no, they're one flesh. So when there's conflict, it's kind of like, you know, like slapping yourself in the face, slapping yourself. Like it's kind of weird. But yet, no, there's a one flesh relationship, so there should be dialogue and conversation. Rare should be the time when, when a husband and wife come to, to a place where they, they can't disagree on some matter and, and maybe the husband has to make a decision. Rare should be that time. If a husband every day is going, this is what I think you need to submit, there's something drastically wrong going on. I can think of only a handful of times and it's less than five because I can really only think of two or three in my marriage with Angie where like after days, weeks, months of praying about certain things and studying scripture and dialoguing, we just came to a place where we just didn't see eye to eye. And it wasn't like I was over here and she was like way over here, okay? Okay. Because we were before God. It was like we were here. And we had to move forward. And honestly, in in two or three of those times, they really, they they were short-lived things. They weren't life-altering. Why should it happen like that? Because this is one flesh relationship. Husbands, you need the perspective of your wives. Wives, you need to share it and you need to dialogue with one another. But your marriage is unique. Your marriage is unique because each marriage has two people that are uniquely gifted. And so that means that each marriage is uniquely different. So we're still talking about submission, I know we haven't moved beyond that word yet, but oftentimes we can look at that and the immediate thing we need is like, well, what is that supposed to look like? Because that's what I want to do. I'm a rule follower. I like to like find out what I need to do and that's what I'm going to do. But you can't just go and say, well, this marriage over here, that's what it's supposed to look like. And you know what, spouse, you don't look like that. You need to get in, you know, you need to get on the bus and get with the program. Every marriage is going to look different. One lady said in our church, be cautious about wanting what others have. You do not see the day-to-day of how their marriage is worked out before the Lord. You don't. Sometimes you just see it here or in the couple, three hours of your small group time. Uh, There's a few more hours in the week than that into how it works out. Ask questions, get dialogue to understand, but you have to work it out before the Lord. We're called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We need to work this out for us and dialogue as a couple. I can't sit here and give every specific application to every single couple, particularly those of you who aren't married yet, because I have no idea what that's going to look like for you but it looks like something and it's not a barbaric and outdated system. Rightly understood biblical submission and marriage should look more like the wonder of a symphony, right? It should, there's, there's a melody and a harmony in a symphony and don't go, okay, well, well, is the wife the one that does the harmony? Or is she the one that does the melody? Or is it the husband? No, don't get worked up about that. But that's what it's supposed to look like. Because here's the reality. Jesus is both the author of the sheet music and the conductor of this thing that we follow that would be a symphony. So we shouldn't get worked up over the particulars. It should look like something, but we should be under the headship of Christ. It's not about a list. It's about an attitude of the heart. One wife shared growing up, she saw a marriage as an ongoing battle for control rather than a committed partnership of two people seeking to lead their family to follow the Lord. So wives, what do you do when your husband is not responsive? You look at this passage and you say, I want to do this, but boy, the guy I'm looking at is just not. Yeah, I agree with that sinner part. I really do. But if he's not pulling his weight, you know... If he's not doing seven, I don't know that I really need to do one to six. What do you do? Well, Peter does share what to do. There's a significance of how God can powerfully use your character. He can powerfully use your conduct. You can actually win your husband by your conduct. Take a look at verses one and two. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, there's something to say about a woman's godly character that speaks so many words without saying words. Again, this doesn't mean giving in to sinful behaviors. This doesn't mean being manipulated by your husband. This doesn't mean that it allows abuse. Again, all those things we've already said. But this means that unsaved husbands or husbands with hard hearts, they're not won by preaching at them and beating them over the head with your Bible those actions unfortunately can push husbands away. But God uses the character and countenance of a godly wife to soften the heart of husbands who do not know Christ or to soften the heart of of those who are not responding to Christ. God uses them. God used my wife to do that to me in our marriage. There was a long season of time, seven years, the first seven years of our marriage was not awesome. If you would have given us the test, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel about your marriage? First time I read that in a book, I was like, oh, great, I'm gonna go ask Angie what she thinks. So I went and I, because I'm thinking, You know, it's eight or nine, but I'm going to say seven because that seems more humble. And I think Angie said, maybe a five. And I was so proud. I said, nah, it's not that low. And I went on. She gave me an honest answer. It was right in front of me. And I missed it. And it took her countenance and character over time and uh, uh, some events that if, at some point, if I can share with you, that, that God used to bring to light all those things. And I look back and God used that to transform me because I didn't see. I mean, we, were, we didn't have an abusive relationship, but I, I, didn't, I didn't love her. I didn't seek to understand her. Uh, I just was just charging on down. I was a believer and I was blind but God used it. God used it. But Peter is not saying this, okay? Ladies, I'm, I'm talking to you. Peter is not saying, suck it up, buttercup. He's not saying, just suck it up, buttercup. You just got to deal with it. No, this is what Peter has said. He said in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, therefore prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Peter said in verse 16, it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. In verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable, seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. In chapter two, verse 21, he says, for this, for this, you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter's not asking for you to have follow some out outlandish guideline he's simply saying hey bear the fruits of the spirit apply the gospel to your marriage even particularly when marriage is hard wives jesus wants you to have hope he wants you to walk by the spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh he wants you to experience the overflow of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness self-control And in a few verses, he's going to tell husbands to do the exact same thing. But the example makes a significant difference. A great example of a godly wife and mother in church history is Monica. You may not be familiar with Monica. Monica was the mother of the famous St. Augustine. God used Monica's witness and prayers to win both her son and her husband to Christ. Though her husband was not converted until shortly before his death, Augustine wrote in his confessions, she served him as her Lord and did her diligence to win him unto thee, preaching thee unto him by her behavior, by which thou ornamentest her making her reverently amiable unto her husband. Her example was so powerful. Her husband came to Christ and her son came to Christ and became a quoted theologian for thousands of years. This passage is about entrusting yourself to God. It's not a guarantee that your husband will change I want to encourage you to press into Christ. Now, again, there is no way that I can address every situation. We need to live in community. Even as we seek to apply these and unpack what does this mean? We live in community. Why do we have small groups? Because we're in community. I'd encourage you if you're struggling in your marriage to go grab some ladies in your small group. Or to go grab a, a couple in your small group and say, hey, can you, can you help me? Dialogue here. Let's walk together. Walk with others in this process. Don't expect transformation to happen overnight. Oftentimes we want transformation to happen in our spouse uh, before I go to bed tonight. But it's okay for us to take years to figure something out. We need to be patient, but when we walk with others, they help point us to Christ. So here's what I want to do before we're done. Clearly, we're going to have to come back to this passage next week. So that's what we're going to do. But it's kind of hard to keep things in the abstract. So I'm, I've asked uh, John and Jess Weersby and my wife to come join me up here on the stage. And we're just going to have a bit of a dialogue. Cause I think that just can be helpful as we talk about this subject, because not every marriage is the same. Um, why did I ask John and Jess? Um, uh, cause, uh, John looks really great on stage cause he has a great hairdo and I get, I get counsel from him on how to dress. No. Uh, John and Jess are just uh, godly servants in our church. John's one of the elders. Uh, they've helped lead men's he's men's ministry. She's helped lead women's ministry. Serve in a number of capacities. And actually, John and Jess, we've had hours of discussion about this subject, helping one another, because. Uh, and I actually thought about other couples, but then. Um, when I realized 20 couples on the stage probably would mean more in people up here than out there, I was like, well, I'll just stop at two and then encourage you to go have a dialogue. But just to kind of give you some context, you know, our marriage, because what I said, remember I said how uh, su- submission or marriage, it's, it's not a personality trait, because sometimes we can attac- attach it to that. We can say, well, this is what it looks like. You know, in our relationship, I'm clearly kind of like the outgoing person who loves to talk. In fact, Angie's here because she's lovingly submitting to her husband. But the place she would prefer to be, it would be like in the back of the gym where no one could see her, right? She, she, when she says words, they're always timely and wonderful and measured and brief. And mine tend to be the opposite. And so sometimes we can be tagged as like the stereotypical, this is what it looks like for the husband to leave because I'm always just kind of out there doing it, going forward. I organize things in my head before I even want to organize things in my head. And that's what it should look like. Well, I take initiative because I plan things out, right, in my brain. That's just how I work. But that's not the standard. We've had to figure out what does it look like for us. But John and Jess, we've had lots of conversation with them because they're kind of the opposite, you might not know that about them, so Jess, would you just share with us how that looks like for you guys? Like
4: being opposite. Of you. Yeah. Uh, I think um, yeah, John's personality is very different than mine. Obviously, um, I have a strong personality. If you don't know me well, you're probably gonna be shocked because a lot of people say you don't. You didn't seem so strong when I first met you. You're, you were so sweet. And then I got to know you. Um, <laughs> so just, I, I do have a stronger personality. And so in our marriage, that's been a struggle that we've had to walk through and just figure out what does submission look like when you have a personality that is strong as a woman. And um, I think there were a lot of years that I kind of pushed against that thinking, Oh, we just got to figure this out. And if we could just make this work, it would be right. If we could check the box, then we'd be okay. Um, and it took it's taken a lot of time, and it's still a work in progress figuring out. God's wired me a certain way. God's wired John a certain way. Um, I can't make John be something that I think he should be. I have to see how God's made John and appreciate those things. And over time, God showed me how much of a gift God is, uh, John is in our marriage because of my personality, and um, if John would have become the person that I wanted him to be when we were first married, we may not be married now. Um, it, it wouldn't have been good, but um, just figuring out that we're different than maybe Jamie and Angie or other couples that we've had um, friendships with or relationships with or kinda um, wanted to emulate, I had to learn that that wasn't wasn't good, and God God put us together for a reason, and it's really, really good, but um, submission is going to maybe look nuanced in our house versus Jamie and Angie's house or anyone else's house because God's made me a certain way, God's made John a certain way. I still submit to the Lord, but how that plays out has been a process in figuring out.
3: Now, John, you... Tell, tell the church about uh, your you grandparents that it looked a particular way, which looks different than you guys, looks different than us. Can you tell us about your grandparents?
0: Sure. Uh, so a little context. Uh, so my grandpa, you might have seen this picture up on the board once or twice. Um, he uh, pastored uh, for a time. Um, one of those churches was uh, Moody in Chicago, um, from there, he was uh, at Back to the Bible, um, which did radio broadcasting of um, various sermons and different things. Um, he's written over 150 books uh, during his lifetime. And so uh, he was asked to go and speak at different uh, events. I can remember back when I was eight, I got to go with on one of those uh, to a booksellers conference, Christian booksellers. And, and so um, grandpa would have quite a busy schedule when you think about um, needing to be at various places. Uh, my grandparents, uh, so my dad's the oldest of four, um, and, and lots of time, uh, grandma was home responsible for the kids. Uh, she was also very much the travel coordinator for grandpa. Um, and uh, because of his diabetes, she was very specific on uh, like his eating routines, when he would eat, those types of things. Um, I can even remember being at their house. Grandpa faithfully would go downstairs um, to his study. Uh, he would pray out loud, so you could actually hear him praying in the morning if you went down there. That's how he engaged with God. Um, but there was a certain time that Grandma knew this would be best for him to uh, have breakfast. And so they had like this little speaker box thing that they like press the button uh, and be like, it's time to come up, have your toast. And so um, that was how grandma was. Uh, grandpa was able to do a great many things because grandma took the role of how do I enable my grandpa to flourish in the responsibilities and the areas where he can lead and impact those around him. Um, my dad would uh, joke when we go to the zoo. Uh, Grandma already had like a particular itinerary that we needed to follow. And so we would get to the drafts and then my dad would say, all right, there's our two minutes at the drafts. We gotta go on to the next thing. That was like grandma, right? And she wanted us to go and experience these different things. Uh, But she did it in such a way where she felt like that was the best way for the people she was with us to enjoy that. And so grandma had a heart of, serving grandpa and helping him, and um, being able to see that uh, as I got older as well. Um, Grandpa, he very much was a dad joke kinda guy, um, and grandma would laugh every single time as though she had never heard that joke 20,000 times before then, right? And that was just the way she was that enabled grandpa to be who he was and how God gifted him. So um, there would be often times my dad would tell the story of, you know, we'd take a family picture and have a picture of grandpa in the background, being facetious. But it was just, that was how busy grandpa was. But grandma made that work for them. And so they're uniquely wired in that way. Um, I think in one of the commentaries uh, grandpa wrote, he talked about um, the husband is the um, one setting the temperature. Uh, but the wife is the one who's telling you what the actual temperature is. And so he was responsible for setting where where they're going, but grandma would be the one to say, this is truly where we're at. And so being able to give that feedback one to another.
3: So you've got two different examples, Justin and John talking about his grandparents and the Eric marriage. I mean, if we tried to do what his grandparents did, I I tried that. Like, I do the grocery shopping in our family. And I tried being like, oh, no, maybe you're supposed to be the one that does that. Because I heard a story about a couple like John's grandparents and it was like, no, you've got to do that. And then she'd go and I would drive her nuts because I'd say, hey, did you get the good sale? Did you buy that stuff on this, this, this? And then she was just like, why, why, why are you having me go to the grocery store? And so I go to the grocery store and it's okay because we're just wired differently. She hates going to the grocery store. It brings her no joy. It brings me joy just talking about going to the grocery store right now. So it's, it's different. Like, they're different. It doesn't have to look exactly the same, but there's, there's a heart that's there. And before we're done, because we could talk for a long time, we're glad to talk at any time, but I want to encourage you to have these conversations with folks in your small group. I mean, just last week, I think it was, two weeks ago in small group, we weren't seeing eye to eye on something. And we just shared it with our small group, and the ladies helped me to apply living with my wife in an understanding way. The ladies did, because I needed my small group to do that. So um, Angie, will you tell us, you're, you're about your mom because she is it on? I'll turn it on. Or we could get really close and you could talk into this mic. That would be, um, Angie's mom has been married to her dad for 57 years, six years, uh, but the first 33 of those years, her dad was not a Christian, mm-hmm. so I just wanted Angie to share a little bit about what she saw her mom do and how God used that.
2: Mm-hmm. So my parents were married very young, and uh, growing up, my dad not go to church with us, um, except for maybe a special occasion. In a great while. Um, mom was definitely the spiritual leader in our home. If you had biblical questions, we asked her all the time. But one thing that always stuck out about my mom is just her faithfulness to pray and to, um, she had a desire for my dad to know Christ. And I think that was very evident in her life. Um, she was very um, faithful to my father and she was very, um, very supportive. Of him, um, even um, though he wasn't a believer. And that's one thing that I think always stuck out to me growing up, that I could um, have that example of someone who loved her husband, yet loved the Lord, and had a desire for him to, um, to know the Lord. And I think something that stuck out to me that I didn't know, that my mom actually, I was talking to her on the phone this week, and she said that um, she had been taking us to church all of her you know, life, and she's like, she knew that my sister was leaving home, and, um, because she was the youngest, and she thought she was going to have to go to church on her own, and over that time, my, the Lord had been working on my dad, and just um, seeing all of us going to church, and experiencing that, I, the Lord just got a hold of my father's life, and he repented, and all of a sudden, he got up one morning, and he asked my mom what time church was, and she's looking at him like, why? And he's like, because I want to go to church. And he started going to church, and she said the Lord just um, answered her prayer in such a, a unique way that she never had to go to church by herself. Because when we all left home, my dad got saved and started going to church with her. So I just, it's just patience and prayer, and that's what I saw in my mom. A lot of prayer and a lot of seeking the Lord and asking us to pray for them. And... Um, I just think faithfulness was the biggest thing that I saw in my mom's life.
3: So there can be the temptation of you've heard some different things and you want to hold on to that. Well, that's what it needs to be. No. We have the text of scripture and it's seeking, and and here's the reality. Uh, We try to add things in here. We try to add uh, chapter three, verse one C. There's something missing there, so I'm gonna add it in there. Friends, I wanna just encourage you, go to the text of scripture. I I had the Weersbees come up and Angie come up just to to hear some perspective, to hear some different voices, to hear how they've interacted so that you can hear that, not to say this is what the standard looks like, but to help you to understand there's variety out there but we want to seek to be faithful to apply God's word. Thanks guys for for joining us. You guys can go back. I just want to encourage you, and we're going to come back to this text next week because we got a lot more to talk about. And guys, I've got a lot of things to share with you. So don't stay home and don't make up that you get sick because you know the sign on the door says, if you feel sick, you have to stay home. And if you do have to stay home, we're we're live streaming this and you better watch it. Uh, We want to be faithful to apply the truth of God's word. Uh, Submission leadership looks, going to look different practically in different marriages. But when an unbelieving world sees it, it will look categorically different than what they're experiencing. Why? Why? Because Christ is at the center. If Christ is at the center, the details will work themselves out. They will. If you're endeavoring to start with Christ and to pursue Christ, God will bring clarity. And God will even use your brothers and sisters in Christ to walk with you. I want you to, to seek out John and Jess. I want you to seek out the Schunkweilers. I want you to seek out the Coolmans. I want you to seek out different people Learn and learn. You're gonna pick up tidbits. There's not a couple that we've found that we're like, they, we're gonna do what they do. No, we kind of like take nuggets from different ones because we find the center and that's Christ. And right now, we're just going to transition to focus on Christ and take communion together. We don't have to have the ushers pass it all out because you already have them in these interesting little cups and the wafers on top. But we're going to take a few moments. The worship team is going to come forward, and they're going to play because we still want to take some time to reflect on Christ. We want to make sure our hearts are right before the Lord. We don't want to come and take communion in an unworthy manner. So if there's sin that you need to confess, confess that sin. It could be in the context of how you have been towards your spouse. It could be as a single, how you thought about other people. It could be any number of things. It could be having nothing to do with what I preached on because the Lord's pressing in on something. But we want to focus on Christ. We want to be reminded about what Christ has done. So let's take a few moments and pray. And then Wes is going to lead us in taking the elements together.
0: Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.